When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will seek God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As I said last week, um, we're going to be spending these next four weeks talking about how we live into the kingdom of God. How we live it out, how we herald it in, how we lift it up, and how we live as citizens of the kingdom of God, or as Matthew puts it, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, in our following of Jesus. And today in our text, Jesus takes to the mountain to proclaim what that kingdom of heaven, what living in that kingdom of heaven looks like. And in Matthew, Jesus goes up to the mountain kind of on purpose, uh, as a, rhetorically speaking, it's a continuation of how uh, Matthew is showing us that Jesus is the new Moses in our midst and thus the new liberator that God has sent to give us freedom and to liberate us from our captivation. And, uh, you know, in in the birth narrative of Matthew, Herod, like Pharaoh, you know, kills the... The young children, the young Hebrew children, uh, Herod does that in, in the birth narrative of Jesus. And there's other elements in there that point to Moses. And today we hear that Jesus takes to the mountain to deliver this new command, a new set of commands and new way of being. Just as Moses went to Sinai and returned with the Ten Commandments, the the uh, commandments of God, Jesus also brings the word of God from the mountain. And his sermon begins with the, what we call the Beatitudes, these blessed are ideas. And I want you to note, these are not commands here. They're not like some of the other things we'll be talking about in the next weeks. These are, they're not imperatives. They are promises, really, that come to us from God. It's not suggesting that we go out and mourn and receive this blessing. It's saying that kind of when we do, certain things happen. When we are, and these things are, when we are poor in spirit, when we are those who kind of long for a deeper and more abiding uh, relationship with God and seek what God has to offer for us. Those who mourn, not because they lost somebody, although that is, that is something that is in need of God's comfort, but this is really about kind of mourning 
the state of things and looking around and wondering why things aren't better. Jesus kind of mourned and lamented over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets. How I have longed to gather you in as a mother hen gathers her chicks. This is Jesus mourning over Jerusalem, the city of God. Those who are meek, that in those who are, that is those who are humble and powerless over their their own lives. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, uh, that is those who desire that deep and abiding relationship with God and want to make it deeper. Those who are merciful, who approach the world with compassion and with grace. And those who are pure in heart, those who are whose motives are right. And peacemakers, those who can calm the discourse. And of course, the persecuted. Jesus addresses these conditions. And we can tell when Jesus talks about the persecuted, it's clear that this was a very real concern for Matthew's community. And we know that because it's the longest and it comes at the the very end. And Jesus says more about that than all the others. So it's very clear that Matthew's community found particular significance in that beatitude. And these statements were really to encourage uh, the Matthew's community that was experiencing oppression and persecution. And more than anything, what Matthew wanted was for his community to not give up. I think Matthew had the concern that many in his community had started falling away, going back to their, their old way of life and just giving up on this whole notion of the kingdom of God. And it would have been easy to. At this time, you know, Roman domination kept people from being masters of their own destiny. The Jewish aristocracy put religious restrictions on people in order to keep them at bay and keep them calm. Poverty was no end to it. Many who followed Christ had become alienated from their own families because of it. But Matthew, through the words of Jesus, is begging them to hang in there and to keep the faith. Faith in what, you might rightly ask. And for Matthew's people, it was a faith in the, in the eschatological redemption of the world that would come about very soon with the return of Christ in glory. Matthew's community was really expecting Jesus to come any day now. So it was kind of a, Matthew's trying to say, hey, hang in there, Jesus is coming, any minute. So it, pretty soon, everything will be changed. God, you know, God's going to fix it all, right? Now, of course, this didn't happen, much to the Matthean community and the early church altogether, uh, much to their chagrin. And to be honest, I would say it would behoove us, whatever, whatever our feelings are about the second coming of Christ, it would behoove us to act as if it's not happening anytime soon and to kind of come at it from that perspective. Because it's been 2,000 years, and uh, I don't know that we're any closer to it, but uh, it hasn't happened. Let's just put it that way. And so what does Matthew's gospel and this particular text today ask of us if it was asking matthew's community to hang in there until jesus comes again what is it asking of us 
I would say quite simply, faithfulness. Faithfulness. But, you know, we're not hoping for an apocalyptic end of all things, I presume. But our faithfulness really points us to living in the kingdom of heaven even now. Not waiting for Jesus to come and fix everything. Not waiting for Jesus to come and and make everything right. Not, Not that I want to abandon that idea. I certainly don't. And I have my own reasons for that. But but. It would behoove us to live in the kingdom of God now and to live that out now and to be faithful to that idea. So it's not hang in there. It's not Jesus saying to us, hang in there, I'm coming soon. But it's more like hang in there, keep going, and I am with you all the way. Amen? Keep going. When our spirits are poor, when we feel that emptiness and despair that comes with all of the uncertainties in our lives and all the times that we say to ourselves, what in the world is going on? What am I going to do? When we just feel like we don't have any more to go on. Jesus says to us, you are blessed. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Christ says you are blessed. When we are in mourning because the world seems to be going down the tubes and we feel overwhelmed by it all and we just wish things could be different and we lament and complain even about the state of the world, Jesus says you are blessed. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. And I do not give as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. When we feel powerless and feel as though our lives are not our own to control, Jesus says to us, you are blessed. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that starts out very small. But then it grows into a large tree and even the birds can perch on the branches. It is there for you to take and to receive and to grow. And when we feel, when we want to feel God's presence so badly that we can taste it, and we finally, after struggling and fighting and trying to do it on our own and blaming everyone else and then finally blaming ourselves and, and just getting nowhere with it, we finally, finally, finally go to our knees and we offer ourselves bare before God. Jesus says, you are blessed. I am the bread of life. I know you're hungry. I am the bread of life. I know you're thirsty. And I, I will give you living water. And you will have your fill. When we are filled with compassion for the hurt and the brokenness of this world, when we just have a longing and a broken heart, for all the pain and suffering we see, when we've opened up our eyes and we start to see the world that God sees, we are filled with mercy and compassion. Jesus says, you are blessed. 
Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put back in your lap. By the measure you give, you will be measured back to it will be measured back to you. Your compassion will be met with compassion. When you have goodness in your heart, when you're just being good, Jesus says you are blessed. You have eyes that see and you have ears that hear and all that God has in store for you is there for the taking. So look and listen. And when we sow seeds of peace and we do our our part to reconcile the differences, when we apologize and say we're sorry, and when we receive apologies and offer forgiveness and we make reconciled relationship, Jesus says, you are blessed God is not the God of disorder, but the God of peace. And to all who received Him, He gave the ability to be called the children of God. And the world seems to be turning against the kingdom of heaven. When they prefer the world as it is and reject the kingdom of God as you and you along with it and reject all of us, and the message of compassion and peace and love that we bring, when they make you feel stupid for having faith, when they call you names, accuse you of making trouble, or even being unchristian, Jesus says, You are blessed. If the world hates you, remember that they hated me first. And if, you are, if people are speaking out against you and you're getting all kinds of nastiness on your Facebook page and all of that business, I say you must be doing something right. Amen? <laughs> that your efforts will pay off. You know, many scholars who see these, these beatitudes as being the, the key to uh, receiving God's blessing. That is that that when we are living out the kingdom of God, the natural outcropping of that are these beatitudes and these blessings. Being poor in spirit, mourning over a broken and hurt world, being meek and humble, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, seeking mercy, looking to be pure in heart, being peacemakers, and experiencing persecution for it all. These lead us to God's blessing. When we experience them, it is because we are living out the kingdom of God and making a difference in the world. Some scholars have said they they kind of rhetorically build on each other. When we allow ourselves to be poor in spirit, that is, longing for more of what God has to offer, it naturally leads us to look around and lament at the state of the world and long for something better. And we find ourselves, we recognize that we are powerless to do it on our own. That we really need, we are so meek, we need God's guidance and God's input and God's uh, God's strength and courage. 
And out of that, we hunger and thirst to be in that righteous, right relationship with God. And when we hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, it leads us to be merciful and pure of heart and seek peace in all of our relationships. And when we do that, the world as it is is going to rebel. It's going to buck against that. It's going to call us names and it's going to try and remain the way it is. And we will feel like the world is against us. But God says we're on the right path. And it begins, you don't get here. You don't get to the blesseds. You don't get to the beatitudes without first experiencing that radical discipleship. We are called to live lives for which the beatitudes are the natural Result, And when we live out that kingdom of God, the blessings come with it. Amen? But we cannot, we cannot experience all of that until we commit ourselves to a radical faithfulness to the kingdom of God that Jesus proclaims, that Jesus lived out, and that Jesus called and equipped us to live into. We are called to be the kind of people that experience mourning and living mercifully and poor in spirit and hunger and thirst for something more in such a way, in such a radical way that the world rejects us for it. Because we are suggesting that what the world is now is not what God intends it to be. And that there is something bigger, something more, something better, something that is inclusive, something that draws us all to God, something that builds bridges, not walls, something that draws us all closer to one another and closer to the Creator of the universe. Amen? And when Jesus takes to the mountain and delivers this sermon, it is a call to radical discipleship and to something new. We are all called to to experience the blessings that come with radical discipleship and commitment to living out the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Our loving and gracious God, uh, we're a little overwhelmed and intimidated by all that You have offered us. And it does lead us to trepidation and we wonder and we worry and, and we, we're not sure we have the strength to be what You have called us to be. And yet we... We hear in this sermon today that the only way things are going to change, the only way the world is going to become the kingdom of God you brought to us is either you come and fix it all yourself or we tap into that empowering Holy Spirit you have given us. We live it out. Give us the courage and the strength to indeed 
be the kingdom of God we see. Ask these things in the precious and powerful name of Christ. Amen.